This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. We are the podcast of the Reformed African American Network. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your host, as always, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. (laughs) And we also have (laughs) the voice. The man is back in the States, back in the the great United States of America back in Mississippi, Bo York. Bo, how's it going? You know, I, it's going pretty well, but I feel like as soon as I left, uh, I left the UK, I must have broke it because they're all. I saw this morning. That, oh, uh, ma- listen. <laughs> See, man, this this is crazy, and we need to actually. We, I, I really would love to talk to someone who who is much smarter than I on these economic issues and the globalization to. Uh, just kind of see the the ripple effects of of what's happening there. But the the big news, the UK is leaving the the European Union is huge news. Yeah, man. Well, and we've got some great listeners over there. While I was in London uh, attending the Media Europe, uh, man, I, I was so blessed. I got I got welcomed uh, into town by uh, both Israel and Tope over there. Um, they kind of set up a a meetup, uh, introduced me into uh, tea the way that tea I suppose is supposed to be drinking because you know over in. Uh, <laughs> foggy London town. They, uh, <laughs> they do the tea thing upright, but man, yeah, just a great time. Kind of talk to them here and, uh, you know, just what's going on over there and, and kind of the reformed community. And then also just mm. kind of, uh, what the black British experience is like, you know, there's mm. similarities and differences in, in terms of kind of the, uh, uh, the unique experience there, you know, compared to kind of the, the unique African American experience as well. And, uh, they've got mm. some great things, man. They're, they're kind of working on over there with, uh, with their ministry and, you know, hope, hope, hoping to hear a lot more from them soon, uh, possibly even writing for Rand maybe in the future as well, which would be great. That would be awesome. Yeah, we definitely need those perspectives, man. We need to invite them on for a segment of the show um, just to hear their perspectives and hear where they're coming from on a lot of different issues over there. So shout out to all of our UK listeners. I know there's Israel, there's Tope, um, Duncan as well. Oh, yeah. um, thank you guys for for just supporting us overseas. And even though it may not be a total one-to-one comparison with everything that's going on, but but still wrestling with these issues um, is just very encouraging. And thanks for taking care of our producer, Bo York, came back with with tea knowledge. <laughs> In all fairness, I can't even remember what I drank, but it was good. <laughs> it was good. So so I saw on, on on social media, you had the English breakfast. What does that look like? Oh my you know, gosh. A, a standard English breakfast, like authentic. It, it looks like what they serve in heaven. I mean, it's, it, it's, uh, it's how you, sausage, how you know, bro? man, bro, how do you know what they serve in heaven? It's, it's, it's gotta be a, you know, you know how you have experiences in this lifetime that you're like, man, this is, this has gotta be just like a taste. You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, man. English breakfast, the full English breakfast with the two eggs over easy on, uh, uh what do they call it? Fried, fried bread, which is kind of a unique take on toast. They had ham, sausage, they had this blood pudding, which sounds disgusting, but is actually amazing. 
uh, tomatoes, mushrooms, even baked beans. So the baked beans are a little odd, but you know, I went with it because you know, I like baked beans. I just don't think I can eat them before noon. I know with breakfast, it's a little, little different, but when in Rome, so I, I had them and it was, uh, it was really good, man. I'm, I'm, I'm team breakfast all the way. So I'm any, anytime there's a chance to get uh, some sort of authentic, uh, breakfast experience, I'm, I'm all for it. Man, that's cool, man. You're going to have to show me how that works. If our, our English listeners, please give us, give me tips on the, the proper English breakfast. I'll try to bring it to, <laughs> to Pensacola, Florida and experience it. Should we go? I, you know, I think it might actually be a good idea to pull the curtain back a little bit, uh, Tyler, just with kind of the way that we've done things. Over the last several weeks, we have been putting out content, kind of uh, we've been recording it, and then it would actually be released the week afterwards in, in an effort to make yes. sure that we had content going, especially with... Uh, with me being out of the country and everything. And that means that we're a little late to discussing some things that we're going to be talking about this week. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's a great point. I do want to make mention of one thing before, and that's congratulations to one of our favorite guests of all time, Show Baraka, for signing with the Humble Beast record label, Yay. which is exciting news. I said on Twitter, though, I am a little salty that he did not give us that exclusive. Like if, you're listening, <laughs> if you're listening to the interview... Um, and you have the pleasure of listening to that interview. You, you should have listened to it. Number one, if you haven't, you know, go back and listen to that. It's, it was excellent. But this whole idea of I heard him and I saw on his face, he's like, "Well, we got some new music coming out," and he was just right on the tip of his tongue. He's like, "Yeah, that's what I'll say," and I'm like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> so we were just three weeks too early, um, apparently. But congratulations, show. We appreciate you, sir. And we wish you nothing but the best at the Beast of Humble, Humble Beast Records. Man, like we're we're always so close to getting exclusives. Like so, we we got to get better at twisting arms. <laughs> well, see, somebody give us exclusives, y'all. Somebody give us just an exclusive. If if just it doesn't matter what it is, just hit us up. And we'll also, thank you guys so much for the feedback on our interview with Colin Hansen from TGC. I received some very encouraging reports of how that interview has challenged you as it has challenged um, Jamar and I while we were doing it and just some of the interactions that we've had because of that. Thank you guys and thank you to our friends at TGC for allowing that to happen. Okay, now let's get into um, what we're going to talk about today. So as Bo was saying, we haven't had the chance to talk about some current issues that are a little bit late in the game, um, but we do want to address them and we've been meaning to address them, but due to one thing or another, we haven't had the chance to. And the first thing is is on a very serious, both of these are very serious, but on a very serious note, we um, a couple of weeks ago had the mass shooting at the Pulse uh, nightclub in Orlando, Florida, uh, which happened on June 12th, um, where a gunman came in and killed 49 people, um, injured over 50 others as well. And it was, according to the reports, um, as far as in the modern era, and, and you know, I, I hesitate to even say this, but you know, as we talk about mass killing or mass shooting, I think there's a lot of history that we gloss over. But it was the deadliest mass shooting by a single gunman um, in U.S. history. Also, the deadliest incident of violence against the LGBT uh, community who was uh, there at the Pulse nightclub, and uh, it struck close to home on a number of of ways. I think for me. Um, I have family members in Orlando and I have friends, um, in, in the city of Orlando, people who co-labor with me in the gospel. Um, and then I have some friends who, who, um, are, are either not believers or don't have, 
um, are, are maybe living in the LGBT community um, who are in Orlando as well. So the the layers and the intersection of grief and sorrow and pain that I felt, um, you know, kind of waking up that morning and seeing what had happened is um, is pretty significant. Uh, Bo, Bo, how did you feel when you heard about it? And what were your initial reactions? You know, it's um, kind of a sinking in your stomach, right? I mean, any, anytime there's a, a mass shooting in America, there's just a, a further sinking down, down, down in your stomach. Uh, that continues to weigh. And, you know, obviously, you know, I, I was actually thinking about the fact that, that you know, for, for many in the LGBT uh, community, you know, kind of the, the gay club to some extent is, uh, it's kind of like this social safe place, right? And so, you know, regardless of, of what, you know, we or, or any of the listeners may, may, may feel about, you know, kind of a, a gay nightclub or, or anything mm-hmm. of that nature, uh, for these individuals that were there, this was supposed to be kind of their, their safe space where, where they were able to kind of come congregate and, and not have to, uh, not have to worry about being attacked in any, in any way, let alone in such a, a horrific and, um, and murderous way. I mean, it's just, right. it's just a tragedy, man. And, uh, and the, you know, obviously, uh, here we said as a, uh, as a reformed African American network, uh, podcast and, and, uh, as a group who, you know, uh, homosexuality has been discussed, uh, on this podcast before. And mm-hmm. it's one of these things where as a Christian community, this can be such a powerful moment. Right, uh, to right. really to really show that love of Christ and empathize and pray with and and really just kind of you know put some hands on some of these people in in such a loving and supportive way and and I was actually I'll tell you this Tyler I was actually kind of encouraged that s- some did that yeah uh, one of the things I think that it's good for you to point that out because one of the things I think that we miss in our interaction with these hot button issues and these major cases is it's going to bring out extremes on both sides um, or on all sides. Anything does these days, it seems. But yeah, especially something like this. It's going to bring out the worst um, in in many groups of people. Um, But but I think it also brings out the best in the church um, in many ways. I think I think the church has to reckon and wrestle with issues that it doesn't normally into the everyday sphere of ministry and life and family and the gospel. Because your point is is really something I thought about on that day is, is when you go to a gay club as a member of the gay community or someone who uh, identifies as LGBTQ, you, you go to find belonging, acceptance, and you go to find uh, like-minded people. It's almost like this community where you go to find like-minded people who embrace who you are. And regardless of what we think about the, the biblical fidelity of that or or what we think about um, how the Lord views certain community, not all community is is biblical, not all community is edifying. But regardless of how we think about that, that desire for community is a human desire. And this these are people who have been created in the image of God. And to think that that would be infringed upon in a way that attacks not just their their views and their ideology, but also attacks their body with extreme violence and prejudice is a, a stunning act. And I think it, it sometimes we we ignore the universalism of the emotions of humanity. Like we all have human emotions and want to be known and loved and accepted. 
and and to see that is in, incredibly disheartening and it's it's painful. But as you're saying, I think sometimes the church and really all communities that have responses to tragedy just get a bad rap. I mean, there was this idea that you know don't pray for people, don't say you're going to pray for people. Let's let's have action as though we can't have both or as though prayer somehow is meaningless or as though our thoughts don't matter. Um, sometimes there isn't anything to do. Sometimes we can only pray because we, we can't change what happened, mm. right? Um, other times there is action that must be had and must be taken. And I think, I, you know, I'm not going to really get into the the back and forth about about mass shootings and guns and if we've recorded an episode on that and you can check that out um and we'll we'll probably end up talking about it a little bit more in the future but i think mm. that's not really the point of this particular um case and episode i think it's it's more of of what creates hatred for for people groups and what creates the the motivation for someone to do this and how can we undercut these harmful worldviews and these harmful sentiments that lead to prejudice, bias, bigotry, and and then um, hatred and violence. So I think that's the more important thing. And I think the church has a grand opportunity. Let me ask you this, Bo, as far as the future, how, how do you feel like this has changed the conversation surrounding the LGBT community and in relation to the church, but in relation to broader society as well? Well, I mean, I, I would all, I would actually say if you kind of look at some of the information that that came out about the shooter as it was kind of wave after wave after wave of of new information, so that now that we have somewhat of kind of a a, a picture of of who the shooter was in terms of you know he was he was a man that was uh, by account struggling with his own sexuality, you know, mm-hmm. so it was someone who kind of had this kind of. Uh, uh, it almost like a self hatred that was going into uh, perhaps what motivated him. I mean, again, I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily project that on him, but just based off of kind of what has been reported since. And correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong. I don't think that's, I think that's up to date information. Yeah, I think we're, I think we're, we're hearing conflicting reports. You know, I think, I think that part of it is, uh, yeah, I think we're just hearing conflicting reports on that, and I think it's. It's hard to say, you know, yeah. I, I think the rush to immediately dissect the shooter's motivation in the immediate aftermath regarding his ethnicity or his his religious beliefs is I think those rush to judgments is always um, they're always flawed. Well, fair point. Uh, and they're but... always incomplete. And I'm not talking about about it from what you're saying. I'm just saying just in general. So so when we talk about his sexuality and we talk about what people have have claimed or said, I think now we're getting a little bit more of the complexity right. of what he was trying to do or why he was trying to do it. And we may never fully know the story, especially when we when we hear people controlling the narrative. But but I, I don't know. I, I can't verify whether or not that was the case, but it does seem from some reports that there are at least claims that he struggled um, with his sexuality and his identity. And that's a major factor, right? You know, that there, there are some people who are saying he was reprimanded for, you know, using harmful slurs and terminology towards not just gay people, but also black people as well. Um, so those things are, are major factors, you know? 
Well, and and I guess kind of what I'm getting at is that, you know, obviously he he wasn't a Christian, but something that I think the church should be wary of is the fact that every single Christian who immediately got just the headline probably assumed that he was. You know what I mean? Like the the fact of the matter is that the church has a terrible, terrible history um, historically in this country with uh, reaching out to the LGBT community with, with, you know, with really kind of dealing with homosexuality, like the, the whole concept the church has had has been either extremely aggressive and I think in a, in a very harmful, uh, way or in a, you know, la 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 la, not listening, not listening, la la la, bubble <laughs> right. mentality, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, you know, we've got, we've got a, problem. We've had a problem. I mean, this isn't like a new problem. This has always existed in the church, but I think that moments like this are kind of a good, uh, a good time to kind of look in the mirror, regardless of whether or not, uh, the shooter looks like you, because the fact of the matter is the shooter does look like you because you know what, that right. shooter's a sinner and so are you. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, as, exactly as a church, I mean, this is kind of one of these moments to realize, okay, what, do, what, how are we involved with the LGBT community? When the LGBT community hurts, how's the church there? We don't even know. Cause we're not involved. You know, we're, we're not there. We're not connected with these people. We don't even know how to handle, you know, a gay couple coming into, into the church. You know, right. and it's one of these things, these balance, I don't know if balancing acts the right word. It's, it's one of these, uh, you know, the, it's the definitely tension is tension. Tension's it's a good word tension. for it, man. It's the complexity of, of kind of, you know, the world that we have always lived in, which is, you know, we have, as, as a church, you are, you know, your doors are, are open to sinners. They should be open to sinners. In fact, I'll tell you this right now, surprise, surprise right now, you've got sinners in your church right now. Well, and I think that's that's the part that I've been talking with people about, you know, as someone who who does help assist in leading a church and discipling people and preaching this idea that we should stop acting as though those people. And I hate to use that term, but that's how we treat it. Right. Exactly. Those people aren't sitting next to us. Right. That those people are out there in the world somewhere. Um, You know, you're. You should know, and this is, just, I mean, just a side note. I mean, there's more than likely a, a gay club or a gay bar or something of that nature in your city, you know, and I know where mine is, you know, like there, there is one in your city. Like I know sometimes we, we like to act as though that doesn't exist or that's in, in some far off place. And so how do, how do we reach out and create bridges? I'm thinking about the people who in my city have, are, are, struggling with their identity or, or identify as something and go to a place and feel fear now and feel, feel, feel afraid. Like how can the gospel answer that fear? How can the gospel speak to that trepidation or that, that fear of life and how in some ways, while not a one-to-one comparison, does that connect, you know, as an analogy to the fear that I have when I enter into a place um, and I'm wearing clothing that could be perceived as threatening or um, mm-hmm. when I get followed by um, a police officer or when I get followed at the store, or when I feel like I'm profiled, it, those things, while, again, I think there's been this this reaction and probably rightfully so towards this idea that, OK, well, we'll don't compare everything towards with the LGBT community movement towards the civil rights movement and these things. However, there are comparisons with the humanity of their of their wrestle and tension and the desire for acceptance and being disenfranchised in a, a country and sadly a church community that doesn't 
see them. That's just something to to wrestle with and consider. And and if we're not wrestling with that, I think we're being unfaithful to to reaching the people who are around us as as neighbors. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, just the church just needs to kind of wake up a little bit and, 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 and be and, proactive. And listen, I think you guys are hearing and this I hope people are hearing we're trying to <laughs> we're trying to this is the the this this conversation is a landmine but it, it because we're trying to figure out how to speak in a way that is gracious and truthful and considering our words so carefully to not to not ignore tension and struggle but to not also forsake biblical fidelity and truth we're wrestling with that yeah and and I think and I think there's an active wrestling with that that you got to press through that even these conversations every conversation I think we have on Pastor Mike requires you to press through a sense of discomfort and anguish and sorrow and fear and if you're not pressing through that if you're not working hard under the power of the spirit to consider how how in ways have I unintentionally discarded and ignored my neighbor, then we have to rethink why we're doing what we're doing. We have to rethink what we call the gospel mm. because maybe we're not believing in the gospel as has been articulated in the scriptures, man. I, I just I hope people are hearing us wrestle with it, Bo, because that's the whole point of the podcast. That's the whole point of coming together and having these hard conversations is is we're not going to say it right all the time, but yeah. but that's okay. We continue to pray and hope and work together. You know. Yeah, I, I would say that if if you if you think that it's okay, like if the doors of your church are open to you, but they're not open to your gay brothers and sisters, then you don't understand what Christ has done for you. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like if if you don't oh, understand the power of grace, if you don't understand that you yourself apart from Christ are nothing <laughs> like that, that mm. you yourself apart from Christ are nothing but your sin. How dare yep, you dehumanize yep. someone else? Like realize what Christ can do for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Amen. I, I, you know, the other, the other fact, of course, you know, talking, talking about kind of using your, your terminology carefully, you know, I, I, I walk in a lot <laughs> of different circles, man. I, I, I have a lot of sure. different podcasts. Um, yeah. so, you know, even, even as recently as, uh, you know, what we've been dealing with in Mississippi with our governor and, and, you know, things like the religious freedoms act and, and those things, I'm constantly messaged like, Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, what do you think about this? And so, you know, it's, it's one of these things where it's, you know, it's, it can be, uh, minefield's the wrong word. Cause I feel at this stage in the game, I've, I've got a, a sense of kind of, uh, hopefully anyway, a sense of kind of trust built up between me and my audience, but it's more of like, sure. a, it's a reach out, right? It's a, Hey, I respect you, but I also see a lot of similarities between you and the people that are doing this. Where mm. do you fall in this? Almost like a temperature check. Navigating those waters can be difficult at times. Um, and I think that's kind of what you're hitting. Exactly. Earlier, exactly. <laughs> no, I think that's. That's very helpful. Because it's it's I, I not it's, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And that's really kind of what it comes down to. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Say it again, but, Bo. Say it again. <laughs> I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But I am ashamed at the way that Christians have perverted it. Let me also get this in too. I'm ashamed at how culture has perverted it as well. Yes. And so that is what is made that is what has made those waters so difficult. That's the tension that exists. The gospel is strong, 
but it exists in this, you know, it, 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 we, we try to speak to the gospel in the midst of a fallen world and that's yeah. fallen on both sides. And I think we're, the gospel calls us to something beyond us, right? Like the gospel is calling us to an ethic in spite of us. So, so it's our, our depravity. We're fighting against our, our, our sin nature and our, our thoughts that are evil and twisted and we're, we're constantly trying to renew our minds and not just in our actions and our words, but in our thoughts and our heart, in, in our attitudes and mentalities. And I think the gospel is calling us to something that's hard, that's difficult, that's impossible without the spirit of God. So, man, I think there's a lot more to say. And I think um, we need to do a whole episode on on, on these things to to talk and educate our listeners on on what to say and how to say it. And maybe it's different in different contexts. And maybe there's some considerations that we haven't made. Um, I think we need to definitely press into this. But our thoughts and our prayers are with the families who lost loved ones in the post shooting and those who have been traumatized, those who um, have a sense of fear, those who have been uh, violated violently violated. And we pray that those who are, are responsible are brought to justice. And um, uh, we hope that this does not continue. Um, our, our culture is a very violent culture. I think sometimes we forget it. it. It may be we're such a large country that we're segmented off from acts of violence and acts of um, gun violence in, in specific, uh, specifically. But you know, I, I hope that this doesn't continue. I hope that this is not the constant refrain of American life, that we are a violent country. So our prayer is that that would end and, and the Lord's kingdom would come um, and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Transitioning now to another story that people wanted us to discuss and talk about. And it's a story that is uh, similarly tragic mm. and um, evil. Um on January 18th, uh, 2015, um, a Stanford swimmer and student named Brock Turner um, was arrested um, for sexually assaulting and violating um, a woman outside of a fraternity party. And uh, it was a woman who was intoxicated and uh, I believe a fellow student at Stanford. And um, recently he was sentenced. Um, he was sentenced at the beginning of June to uh, six months in jail. Um, along with some probation time, uh, he faced a maximum prison sentence of 10 years, um, but instead just faces six months in jail, some probation, and now he has to register as a sex offender. This story gained extreme traction and still has traction due to some of the comments that were made surrounding it and also due to, I think, this ongoing reviving conversation surrounding mass incarceration and some of the, you know, some people have called overcriminalization, the inequities that exist between race and class regarding these issues. Um, the young man's father said some things. I'm not even going to repeat what he said. Mm -mm. Basically came to a defense of his son mm -hmm. um, saying that this would affect his life and this sentence has, has altered him pleading for leniency in a case where, according to experts, he's received extra leniency. Um, Bo, you heard about this story. Um, this is difficult for me to talk about on a number of levels. What did you think about it? I think there's not a whole lot that I can say on this podcast and be... Uh, there's... Yeah. This this is a tough one, man. This is a tough one to talk about. Um, 
mostly because I, I try to, when I don't have anything good to say, I try not to say it. <laughs> you know yep. what I mean? Uh, and I, it's, it's hard. You know, you mentioned the boy's father and, and what he has stated. And I tell you that, and I, that, that in particular, uh, made me want to throw my computer out the window and then just, you know, take a baseball bat to everything in my office. If you didn't think, if you still don't think that privilege exists, if you still don't have this, if you still have this denial, this denying mentality surrounding the idea of privilege, that one group can can think of themselves differently as other groups. Please, please, please do not deny this. Read the statement of the father and then tell me that there's not a sense of privilege to where the father is requesting in a very crude craftsman. I can't believe someone allowed this to be sent. But in a crude craftsmanner tells the jury and tells or tells the judge in particular that that his son's life is value, not even cons- not considering the victim of this sexual violent tragedy. And don't don't tell us that privilege doesn't exist. It does. We we look at it. This this case is proof positive of the privilege in our society and this massive blind spot that ignores victims and ignores the people who who don't have voices and the people who are disenfranchised and abused in favor of the ones with power in favor of the ones with money in favor of the ones who have status in favor of the ones who are who are college athletes don't tell us privilege doesn't exist go ahead bo go well, ahead well all right so i can so that and i and we can dive deeper into that aspect and and i can probably and i'm not and listen like okay Go ahead, say say what you're going to say. I don't want to say something as a disclaimer. Well, two, two, we yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so two, two aspects of this, right? One is as as a father of daughters, um, I, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I can't even imagine, I can't even imagine what I would do if it was my daughter. I, I, I can't imagine it. I don't want to imagine it. I don't want to live in this fallen world anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, it's difficult to process. And you're right. The, the father of the, the, the attacker's statement was so infuriating and so disgusting. But one thing that I think has been dived into as well, and, and this is kind of what you're, I believe you're, you're driving towards, even not just, I mean, I, I know you're talking about male privilege as uh, kind of layered in there as well. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But, but of course, you know, there have been reports and kind of comparing similar crimes where, you know, in, in the instance of an African-American being the uh, attacker, the penalty is much higher. Um, You know, and I I think back to a very similar and tragic situation um, where, you know, on, on my, on my mother's side of the family, um, my grandfather was a lawyer and, uh, and he was actually one of the first white lawyers, uh, in the South to represent African-Americans, which is kind of interesting. Wow. And one of the first trials he did, there was, uh, there was two, two men had, if I'm, and I'm probably misremembering, but this is essentially the, the gist of it. Two men had attacked someone, uh, one black, one white, uh, and they were both involved in the attack and the attack exact same crime. Um, one, the white, the white man, uh, got a sentence of a few years, whereas the black man got a, a sentence of a life sentence. 
Mm. Um, so he was the, in in that case, he was representing the black man trying to get him, uh, you know, his, his sentence reduced, uh, given what happened now, of course, not, not a key, like not, not excusing the crime by any stretch of the right, imagination. Right. Yeah. That's very important to say. Exactly. Right. But, but showing specifically the dichotomy, because literally, like literally this was the, the two, two, the two criminals committed the exact same crime. Like it, not, not these two crimes looked alike. It was the same crime. Like they were both involved in the attack. Um, but one walks away with a few years sentence. The other walks away with life sentence. Obviously this was decades ago, but yet here we are today where people are, are using this case to kind of show very similar practices, even with the leniency, as you pointed out, that's already been shown to this attacker. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say from, as a disclaimer, um, you know, I'm not, you know, we talk about showing grace and, and something, I mean, I'm not seeking to bury this man, um, you know, without grace and without consideration of what could be the reconciling power of God and the gospel to bring him to repentance. You know, I'm, I'm mainly speaking to the act itself in our culture and society's response to that act as someone who, you know, has a sister and my sister's 16 years old and thinking about the protection of her and, and, and the, um, someone taking advantage of her in a moment of whether it's poor decision-making or weakness or, or just nothing, neither. It was just, nothing just in this her, case. Like literally her, she was her, unconscious. Existence. It was just her existence. Exactly. The, the idea that she's property that belongs to him, you know, that he can do whatever he wants to do. And I, you know, I applaud the students who stepped in and, and stopped it and who held him down uh, until the police arrived. You know, um, I just applaud them. And, and I even applaud the, the victim for coming out with her statement and writing a letter yeah. and, and, and talking about the situation and drawing some of these parallels. And that's very brave. That's a very courageous thing to do. And, and, and I think we as a, as a church and as a culture, must also reckon with this idea that if we're not aware of the ways in which society advantages some and disadvantages others, we're again, we're putting our heads in the sand and we're ignoring plain facts. And plain facts are telling us that in certain ways, we have accentuated the value and worth of people who have money and who are born in a certain zip code and and have experienced a certain education and have a certain look and appearance and we have disadvantaged others. And the, yes, that does include a, a, a gender and, and misogynistic sexist identity that seeped into the church. Um, we cannot deny those things. Those things are important for us to consider. If we are denying those things, then we are deceiving ourselves. I think we've got to be very intentional about saying, oh, well, I have, I have outrage towards this case, but the, there are cases like this, you know, in your city, you know, there are cases like there, there are victims of sexual assault and abuse in your church. I guarantee it. And hearing a, a, a legal expert say that the appropriate sentence would have been six years in prison, like not jail, not him going to jail, not even going to prison. Would, would have been six years in prison. That, that would have been a, a, the just sentence at minimum. Um, it's stunning, man. It's stunning the way our criminal justice system works and who how it advantages certain people, how it disadvantages others, but then also how in which we've warped our minds into thinking that we're owed something that we're not, you know? You know, obviously this, um, you know, the, the last time that, that 
rape was a subject matter on past the mic had to deal with uh, the Cosby cases. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that we made mention of then, and I think we should make mention of now is the awareness that we're two guys talking about this. Um, uh, yes, I was just getting ready to say that we recognize that we should have said that at the beginning. Yep. My bad. We are two dudes talking about this and we want to be very careful. Yep. So, and I honestly, you know, then that's, that's part of the perspective that we're looking at both of these two stories, both tragic and very unique ways. And we're looking at it kind of outside looking in, right? Yeah, um, yeah, in, yeah. in both instances. And so, you know, one of the things I think would be very helpful maybe in the future uh, to have more of a specific, perhaps uh, perhaps an episode dealing with, uh, you know, I guess uh, LGBT outreach with actually, you know, um, either former members of the LGBT community or, or you know, Christians that have, have struggled in that way or, or, or even involved in LGBT outreach. Um, in terms of kind of for more of a broader subject matter and in terms of rape, because that's, that's, I mean, that is a, a continued crime that goes on and on and on. And, and like you said, I mean, this, this woman, uh, you know, so courageously used her story to bring light to this, this instance, this instance that goes on and on and on and on. in so many cases that we don't hear about. Um, and so, you know, I think, um, it's a subject matter that requires experts in which neither of us are. And I guess that's all I'll say. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. So we do, um, apologize for anything that we, we say and from our limited perspective that isn't edifying and isn't, isn't true. Um, we're, we're definitely straining to respond in a gospel centered human dignity way, but, um, we acknowledge our limitations. I, I, I just think it's something that we should we should be aware of, and that the church should constantly be drawing towards. And I think, and, and you can speak to this, but I think it's it's helpful for us to make sure that there are outreaches and and ministries within our church to minister to victims who you know have have experienced this, who have experienced mm-hmm. assault or, or abuse in male and female in in many of these ways, and many ways have gone unreported. Yeah, man. I, I think that's good. I, I got to tell you, I just, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I realize again, this is this coming. This is a tough one, man. This is a tough one. People are like, do you want to talk about this? I'm like, no. Um, just because of how upset and, you know, I, I tried not to even post about it. I don't know if I posted about it or not. I think just simply because I didn't think I could say anything that was, you know, edifying, but, you know, well, Lies. and and, <laughs> and here's the thing, man. I I can only comment. I I can only comment from my own perspective, and I don't even know that I should comment. But but I can only comment from my own perspective, right? You know, I'm I'm I am not a woman. I'm I'm a man, but I am also I mean I'm, I'm a man with daughters. You know, I'm not a man with a son. I don't have I don't have a son, but I do have daughters. And you know, as they continue to to grow up, and I you know I'm 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 having to learn how to trust in God more and more. <laughs> Because, mm. man, this world, I just, I feel just the mm. weight of the attack of the world and just the fallenness of the world. And, you know, the fact that our children are, are born into it, right? I mean, all of our children are born into this world. We, we, they inherit, they inherit the sin that we inherited. Um, yeah. And so, and and that's, that's true of, of my children. That's true of everybody's children. And, you know, yeah. and so this, this kind of, we have this kind of concept of childhood innocence and. Um, and, and, you know, to, to some extent there's, there's a grace that's extended there, right? I mean, these are, these are covenant children. These are, these are my girls. And I just, I, 
man, I just, I just the, the weight of this world, the, like the sharp edges that are, are constantly there that as it's like, as they grow up, as they get older, they get taller and they get closer and closer to those sharp edges, man. And, and, uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's the reality of stories like this that are true stories that are not just one and done. These are constantly happening. Mm-hmm. Um, just those edges, those sharp edges get more and more visible. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to process that. And that's just me being totally honest. I don't know how to process that other than just, mm-hmm. you know, thank God for Christ and <laughs> Christ comes soon. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, yeah. that's all yeah. I got. Thank you, brother. Thank you, man. That means a lot that you would you would open up in that way. And uh, just thank you all for listening to us. Just just strain and and try to talk about these issues. We are um, we are we have but clay feet, and so we're we're not perfect in our explanation of that. And uh, we we feel deeply though, and we understand what the gospel speaks to, and that's everything, and that the gospel is. Uh, the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, and it is a restoring force um, for for the world. And God will make all things new. He will return everything, even as Tolkien says in in Lord of the Rings, everything that's sad will be made untrue. So you just um, quoted Tolkien. Look at you. <laughs> Amen. Got to got to bring some culture around. You know, I can't just be hip hop. So got to bring some culture around. Tolkin, uh, Tolkien was hip hop in his own way. What'd you say? I said Tolkien was hip hop in his own way. He, he, was. <laughs> he just he had to was. dig I for it. I think Tolkien would dig hip hop. Tolkien would dig hip hop. I think he would too. That's good. Don't tweet that. Somebody's going to tweet Tyler Burns says Tolkien would dig hip hop. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I do want to mention, make mention of something that is such a, a powerful um, segment of the RAND Network uh, website. Mm. And that is this weekly roundup that Karen Ellis is doing yes. um, on the Persevering Church. It's called We Persevere. Um, if you're not familiar with Karen Ellis, get familiar immediately, please. Uh, the wife of Dr. Carl Ellis, and she is brilliant at in many ways, but especially at talking about what some people call the persecuted church, what she has coined the term the Persevering Church. And um, she's a pioneer in that movement. And every week she does a roundup of of some key relevant articles and facts and some things to to keep watch of regarding the persevering church worldwide in places like Egypt and Nigeria and Israel and Vietnam and some some bookshelf items. Just a, it's a great insight. It's a great primer to what's going on outside of our American Western context please check that out. Um, please tweet at her if you've been blessed by it, um, if it has encouraged you. I was just reading some things just about um, how even on my birthday, which was recently, some someone was uh, a, a particular building and charity was was raided. You know? And this, this idea that while I'm celebrating uh, life, someone's life is being threatened and taken, um, that that's, we should sit with that and we should not ever forget the persevering church worldwide and our brothers and sisters in different contexts. So check that out. We persevere. Thank you so much, Karen Ellis, for constantly bringing that to our attention and not letting us miss our brothers and sisters who are outside of our view. Absolutely. It's been too long. We need to get Karen Ellis on the show again. Yes, 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 yes. We must. We must. There's so many people who want to get on the show. Guys, you need to keep up with us. You can follow us on Twitter. Now, the show is at underscore past the mic. That's our Twitter handle. 
You can also follow uh, Ran Network at Ran Network as well on Twitter. We want you to like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Reformed African Americans. We also want you to join our complex, diverse uh, Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group. It's Pass the Mic. If you look up Pass the Mic and request to get in, um, we'll let you in. And it's a great opportunity for you to work through some issues in a very raw, real format. So um, come prepared, um, come prepared to listen, come prepared to learn, come prepared to to laugh and cry and all the above. Um, it is a very encouraging group that I've learned so much from. Uh, so you can do that. We also want you to subscribe and like us, uh, rate and review us on iTunes. That's very important to us. If you've been blessed by the podcast, give us a shout out on iTunes. Also, please download the Satchel app. It's how yes. I listen to my podcast now. Download it. Subscribe to Pass the Mic on Satchel, and uh, I know Bo York would very, very much appreciate that if you download the Satchel app. Tell your friends to do the same. Yeah, five-star ratings. Give us a nice little uh, (laughs) review on the App Store. That'd be wonderful. We need those right now, so that'd be great. Please do. Absolutely. And uh, until next time, guys, we look forward to having Jamar Tisby back on. Keep him in your prayers as he's doing great things. But until next time, we will see you again soon on the next Pass Pass the Mic. You've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y dot com. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.